Welcome to the Arbitration Conversation with Amy Schmitz. Hello, and welcome to the Arbitration Conversation. In this Arbitration Conversation, we're going to continue a discussion that we started some months ago with respect to the Digital Services Act in Europe, sort of what that means, what are the implications, and what are the issues left to be determined. And for that, we have an expert in the field from the Netherlands. We have Dr. Peter Walters. He's an associate professor at the Radboud Business Law Institute and Radboud's interdisciplinary research hub on digitalization and society otherwise known as IHUB. He studied law at Radboud University, University of North Carolina, and the University of Michigan. His research concerns the private law aspects of digitalization, data protection, and cybersecurity. His recent research concerns the online formation of companies, data sharing, international transfers of personal data, and content moderation. So first of all, thank you for being with us, Professor. Uh, you're very welcome. Glad to be here. So we had talked some months ago with one of your colleagues, um, Dr. Pietro Ortolani. Um, we talked about sort of the confines of the Digital Services Act, but only in passing. And we didn't get a chance to sort of go in depth as we would have liked to about sort of where it stands. Um, could you recap the listeners on what is the Digital Services Act and where does it stand today in terms of European law? So the Digital Services Act is the new European framework uh, for the proper functioning of uh, the internal market for intermediary services. It's mainly about the uh, responsibilities of intermediary services, such as online platforms, in relation to illegal content. Um, they, uh, the, the DSA, the Digital Services Act, has been approved by the European Parliament and the Council, uh, so it is expected to be published somewhere in the next month. Interesting. Well, I guess um, that means it's coming, but the question is, what's gonna? What, will it make a difference? So, could you give us an example of when it might apply, um, for example, to a company like Amazon or Facebook, otherwise known as Meta? Uh, well, basically, it applies uh, to all intermediary services uh, that offer their services uh, to uh, recip recipients in Europe, in the European Union. So uh, the, the DSA is, is mainly relevant when illegal content is uh, involved. When someone uh, put, uh, uh, uploads any kind of illegal content to Facebook or Instagram, uh, then uh, the Facebook will have responsibilities in relation to this illegal content. Now, it's, it's important that under the old rules, but also under the new rules, in principle, Facebook cannot be held liable for, Ill for illegal content that is posted on their online platform. However, if they, are, uh, if they know about the illegal content and they fail to remo remove it promptly, they can be held liable. And this, this rule is the same under the old rules uh, as, it, as it will be under the DSA. However, the DSA creates all kinds of new responsibilities for Facebook and other online platforms. Most importantly, and one thing I'm, I'm working on right now, is that online platforms will have an obligation to put notice and action mechanisms into place. Uh, we, 
already know these mechanisms. They, they already exist for most online platforms. If, if you go to Facebook you have an, uh, and you see something illegal, you have the option to say, this is not okay and uh, fill in a quick form uh, why. Um, however, this is not actually uh, obligated under European law as it stands today. Some member states do have such an obligation. Uh, and then there are very special obligations for uh, specific types of content, such as uh, videos that violate IP law. However, under the DSA, there will be like a general notes and action obligation for all online platforms and all other hosting services that applies to all kinds of illegal content. Yeah, that's going to have pretty significant implications, especially this notice and action. You know, I think about the notice and action and I wonder, you know, what does that look like? Um, what sort of procedure will that be? Will it be an online arbitration or online mediation or what sort of a process will that be? Well, well to start, um, the, the DSA doesn't prescribe exactly how the notice and action mechanism has to look like. This is up to the, the hosting service providers, the online platforms. However, uh, the DSA does impose all kinds of requirements on this notice and action mechanism. Uh, most of them uh, state that the, the mechanism should be very easy to use, it should be easy to access, it should be user-friendly, um, and it should, be, it should allow for notices uh, exclusively online. So basically, it should be very easy for a user to flag illegal content. And because it's, it has to be so, so easy, um, we should not expect a whole formal, uh, formal procedure, like, like uh, a low barrier, that's the key. Make it easy for people to flag illegal content. Right, well, and the thing is, I guess, um, you know, when I think about these confines you mentioned in terms of sort of, due process, I guess, of some sort, you know, what are some of the requirements um, that are most notable and how will these requirements be enforced on the notice and action mechanism? Yeah, the, so, so one side of the coin is, is that it should be easy uh, uh, for users to submit notices. However, this does not mean that every notice should lead to the removal of, of content that is flat. In contrast, the, the DSA also contains all kinds of safeguards to make sure that the notice of action mechanism does not lead to over-removal, does not lead to the removal of content uh, that, that, that isn't illegal at all. So the DSA forces the online platforms to process these notices with, with due care. Um, they have to be uh, timely, fast, but also diligent, uh, non-arbitrary and objective. So they have to make a, a, a good effort to remove content that is illegal, but also uh, do not remove content that does not violate the law or their terms of services. Um, furthermore, uh, the, the recipients that uploaded the content uh, have a right to a statement of reasons. If that content is removed, they uh, can, uh, uh, they should get a motivation of why this was done. Uh, this allows them to upload other content that is not illegal and understand, you know, what they did wrong, basically. Right. The question, I mean, still, 
I still wonder, <laughs> you know, how do you enforce, because this seems kind of like a fine line. On the one hand, you have to have due care not to, you have to make it easy enough that people can post their notice, but then at the same time, you don't want to overly um, be, you know, taking away freedom of speech. So I, I wonder, you know, sort of who's going to police this and how they'll make sure that this these duties are being complied with. Yeah, it's the, the DSA compli uh, contains a very layered uh, uh, enforcement system. So at, at the very end, of course, you can always go to a state court uh, and uh, battle there. However, if you wouldn't go to a state court if, uh, if, if your picture was removed on Instagram. You know, it's, it's not worth it to go to a court for that. No. Uh, at least I wouldn't go to a court for that, but perhaps uh, some people are more vain uh, than, than I am. Uh, so, so, so you can do that, but you don't want to do that. No. So there yeah. are other, there's also other options. Uh, you can also uh, file a complaint with the supervisory authority. Uh, okay, this is possible, of course, but at the same time, it's not really practical if, if all conflicts about content moderation have to be enforced by a supervisory authority. So the easiest the way to deal with these complaints is uh, through an internal complaint handling system. Online platforms, only online platforms, other intermediary services uh, do not have this obligation, but online platforms have to provide the recipients of the service um, with a uh, internal complaint handling system that allows them to you know, file their grievances with a decision to re remove or not remove certain illegal content. And again, this internal complaint handling system is uh, somewhat low barrier. It should be easy to use. It should be free. It should be done electronically. You know, you, you shouldn't expect like this whole formal court proceeding or arbitration proceeding. However, it is a bit more serious than just uh, filing a notice, uh, as I just as I have just described. Uh, one important uh, difference is that decisions in this internal complaint handling mechanism cannot be made solely by automated uh, uh, means. So there always has to be a human in the loop to right. to, to look at oh. these decisions. That's, you know, that's interesting right there because, um, you know, there's a lot of use of AI um, and machine learning in terms of being able to capture, for example, disinformation, misinformation, um, to flag it. But obviously this, there has to be a human in the loop for any determinations to be made in this, in this respect under the DSA. Yeah, yeah. And, and like I said, the DSA is very layered, like the, the first decision can be made by automated means as long as these auto means, automated means are, are like reasonably monitored in general. Uh, however, when, when someone uh, complains about a certain decision, then a human has to look at it. So it's very layered. You can do it automatically, but if people complain, a human has to be involved. And then this is just the, the first and the second step. Uh, so if you use this internal complaint handling mechanism and you're still not satisfied with the decision, you can uh, take it one step further and go to an out-of-court dispute settlement uh, body. And this is already a little bit more formal. The requirements on these bodies are higher, uh, but it's still not really a, a it, it doesn't have to be a formal arbitration or court proceeding. 
at, at, at least DSA doesn't really describe how these mechanisms should look uh, exactly. Uh, but again, now it's someone else looking at your dispute, which, which should give more safeguards uh, and uh, a better decision. Right, right. Well, this will be interesting to see how it plays out and kind of how it makes, even if it's difficult um, to specifically enforce each piece of it, I think it could change the tide of the requirements for these um, in these platforms, because of course we know the rule has for so long pretty much been the wild west, um, in that there was no liability for the platforms, but now they have some obligations. Um, you know, it makes me think about the GDPR. Um, in what ways do you think that, for example, this law coming out of Europe could implicate um, individuals throughout the world? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, you know, on, on the one hand. Um, th these things aren't uh, as interconnected. So, so let, let, let's get back. A let's go back a step. You, you, you mentioned that now it's it's basically the wild west, and and that's true. You know, uh, many online platforms already offer all these things, but they offer no safeguards at all. You know, uh, you don't know whether your complaints actually being handled. You don't know when. You don't know what people are doing with it. You don't know why your content is removed. Uh, there's, there's there's hardly any safeguards. So now Europe is forcing these online platforms to, to be a little bit more thorough with all these things. You know, uh, better complaint, uh, uh, so better notice mechanisms, but also better safeguards. Now the, the question is, how will, what will this mean for the rest of the world? Now, on the one hand, uh, companies from other parts of the world, and, and this is mostly uh, big American platforms, of course, they have to deal with these European rules if they want to offer their services in Europe. And they, they, they cannot go around it, otherwise they will uh, they will face they can face big fines. Right. So right. So it will affect them. However, what you what you mentioned with the GDPR, I'm not sure if the same will happen, because with the GDPR, uh, because these companies are so so interconnected, if you process data from European data subjects, uh, you have to make this whole system, uh, you have to tie up this whole system. And once you've already done it, you might as well also process uh, the personal data of other data subjects uh, in this system. But here, it's, it's not that straightforward because the regulation only applies to the, the, the services that you offer in Europe. So you can still decide to do basically nothing uh, with your services uh, uh, in the US. You know, don't offer any complaint handling mechanisms, don't offer an adequate, uh, uh, don't have a human in the loop, whatever. You don't have to do that in the US as long as you do it once someone in Europe is involved. And will, so, so, so will this happen? Will these online platforms differentiate? I think that they just might because these platforms are big enough and the cost of internal complaint handling mechanisms, the cost of going to an out of court dispute settlement body, they, they might be so high to say, no, we're not going to do this in the, in the United States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I was thinking about it. It might, though, make it easier or 
um, build trust, right? So there might be incentive, for example, I mean, look at Meta, right? They created the Facebook Oversight Board because they do want to um, create more trust in the information that is on their platform. So it is possible that some of these platforms would um, want to participate in this in order to um, build trust. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And it can, it can certainly be a distinguishing factor like if you if you've done your homework for the for Europe, yeah, uh, no, the, I mean, the, the, yeah, the costs of doing the same thing for the U.S. are relatively small, and you can say, look, we are Instagram, uh, we are taking care of our users. Uh, go to us, don't go to TikTok, uh, where you can be, where you can face, uh, you know, whatever. Right, right. And we're more um, legit. We have means for people to take down misinformation, you know. So. Um, yeah, I mean, that would be appealing to me as a consumer. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I, I mean, I think this, uh, these online platforms are already doing the math. So we'll see soon enough. Uh, exactly. What the fit for them. Right, right. Um, yeah, and I'm sure that they're not all sitting there, you know, waiting to hear what we think. <laughs> There's a lot of consumers out there. <laughs> but No, um, no, you can be very sure. These, the, the Digital Services Act, but also another regulation for online platforms, the Digital Markets Act, uh, they are lobbying heavily. They are lobbying heavily, heavily. They know everything we know about. Yeah, yeah. Well, this will be interesting. Um, more to come. You know, it'll be interesting a year from now to sort of see what difference this made um, and to see whether or not um, companies do start to take ownership and be more prudent in the information that's provided on these platforms. Well, thank you so much um, for taking the time to discuss this very interesting issue. Um, I really look forward to kind of seeing where it goes. Yeah, me too. This podcast was brought to you by Arbitrate.com. For more information about Arbitrate.com's programs and content, please visit our website at www.arbitrate.com.